Our Old Testament reading is from the book of Amos, chapter 9, verse 13 through 15. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's psalm is Psalm 97. We will read responsively by whole verse. The Lord is king. Let the earth be glad. There goes a fire before him and burns up his enemies on every side. His the hills melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens Confounded by all those who worship carved images and who delight in false gods, Worship him, all you gods. For you, Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. A light has sprung up for the righteous, and a joyful gladness for those who are true-hearted. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Our New Testament reading today is from Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel lesson this morning is from John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Church, this is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And he said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars 
for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill these jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, although the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and once people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. We are delighted to have our Dean, Aubrey Spears, again with us today. He's going to be staying around after the service for a Q&A, but we are also thrilled that he is going to be opening God's Word for us. You brought a copy of the Bible. Please turn to our Gospel passage, John chapter 2. So, if you're reading the book of John in one reading, it starts with a very famous passage of scripture called the prologue. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was this quite well-known thing. Once the prologue is over, we have John the Baptist. He looks at the reader, and he says to you, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Normally, not all the, the time, but normally in the Bible, when, when the word behold is used, it's the writer of the book telling the reader of the book to look at something. So the first thing that happens after the prologue is, is John the baptizer, one of the characters in the book, breaking character, looking at the audience, and, and telling you, look at Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then in the very next scene, John the baptizer repeats that, but not to the reader. He repeats it to a couple of his followers. He turns and looks at his followers and he tells them, behold the Lamb of God. They do. They look up. In the story the Bible, John is telling, they look up, they see Jesus walking by, and they follow him. Jesus stops, he turns, he looks at these two guys that are following, and he says, what can I do for you? And they reply, basically, John told us, you're somebody we should pay attention to. Can we do that? Can we learn from you? And Jesus says, come and see. Now, they do. Start walking with him, and he's headed toward his home, and they go with him. The next day, Jesus abruptly summons a man by the name of Philip. He says to Philip, follow me. Philip does. And then Philip goes and finds his friend, Nathaniel, and declares, without providing any explanation or evidence, he declares to him, we have found the one about whom Moses wrote in the law and also the prophets, Jesus the son of Joseph the Nazarene. Now, Nathaniel, he's skeptical. He says, can anything worthwhile come out of an insignificant village like Nazareth? 
Philip says back to him the thing Jesus said, come and see. So John's gospel starts with a prologue that's 18 verses long, and then there are four scenes. And in each one of these scenes, an invitation is given. The invitation to look at Jesus, to see him, to behold him. So think about this for just a moment. Our reading is chapter 2. Chapter 1 starts with the prologue, and then four times an invitation to see Jesus occurs. Once to the audience, to the reader, then to these two followers, then to Nathaniel, and then to Philip. Now, here's what, where it gets interesting. John is telling us in the first chapter of his gospel, he's telling us that he wants us to look at Jesus. He wants us to turn our heart to Jesus. He wants us to turn our minds and our imagination and our ears and our eyes toward Jesus, to come to him. For every one of us, adults, children, teenagers, Jesus is inviting us in John's gospel to come and see him, to trust him, enter into a friendship with him. Now, when we get to the end of chapter 1, we have five men who have accepted the offer. I'm going to do that. I'm going to see. I'm going to come along. I'm going to accept the invitation to little by little learn who Jesus is, enter into this relationship with him. That's where you get at the end of chapter 1. Now, we heard, read the very beginning of chapter 2. So Jesus has invited these people to come and see him. And what is the first thing that Jesus does that he lets them see? What is the first thing that he does for them to look at? He goes to a party. He takes them to a Middle Eastern wedding, a week-long feast. And what does Jesus do at this wedding? He doesn't sit over in the corner talking quietly with one or two people observing the wedding. He parties. He celebrates. He drinks. He dances. He sings. And he rejoices. So if you accept the invitation in John's gospel to use John's gospel as an opportunity to see who Jesus is, to little by little learn who Jesus is, what is the first thing you learn about Jesus? You learn that Jesus laughs, and he jokes, and he has fun, and he sings, and he dances, and he celebrates love, married love, erotic love, romance, and, and he celebrates friendship and companionship and the union of friends. You see that this Jesus that's inviting you to follow him, he affirms wild delight and feasting pressing pause in the dailiness and darkness and weariness of our lives in order to find moments to celebrate, to taste and dance, to have friendship and love and joy and fun. Now that's pretty cool. Come and see, come and see. Learn who I am. The first place you're going to learn who I am is at a wedding, at a party that lasts a whole week. But then at some point in the midst of this party, a thing happens that's not good. It, what, what happened in the party that was bad news? What's that? 
They ran out of wine. Now, that's not just an inconvenience, like who's going to go to ABC or who's going to go to Costco. In the ancient Middle East, it was the custom for the bridegroom to provide the wine. And so in this honor and shame culture, it's not only inconvenient that you've run out of wine at a wedding party, it's also embarrassing. It's not only embarrassing, this is an honor-shame culture. This is a shameful disaster. It's a disgrace. The entire family of the bridegroom will have to live with this shame for years. It will mark them. It will affect their place in society. Now, you might look down on that. You might think that's not very fun or very cool, but don't be so proud that you judge other cultures for the way they've organized themselves. We have our ways of organizing ourselves. This was a serious mistake. So the second thing these five men who've accepted the invitation to behold the Lamb of God, to come and see, the second thing they see Jesus do is he cares for people. He has compassion. He helps this young couple. He helps this family out of their shame. He rescues them from a humiliation that will, they will bear for years to come. And he does that by providing an insane amount of wine. 150 gallons of wine. Now that's not playing around. And it's not, apparently, the guy who tasted it said, that's not two-buck chuck. Like, this isn't even top-shelf Martins, right? Where in the world, what in the world has happened here? 4,000 glasses of wine. So think about what's going on. Chapter 1 has said, you're supposed to watch Jesus. And in, and in beholding him, you're supposed to see what he's like. So what does this show us about Jesus? What does this show us that he is like? It shows us that he is a, a man, a God of joy and compassion and help. The invitation comes. You're invited to do the same thing. Now, when we get to the end of the story, John chapter 2, verse 11, an interesting thing happens. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. But wait a minute. This is a sign. What do signs do? They point. They point to things. Jesus taking his disciples to a feast, a week-long party, performing a miracle. Apparently, John is saying, hey, on the surface, it's really cool, but it points to something more. There is more going on here than meets the eye. There is a deeper truth. John is interesting as a writer. He makes you work for it. He leaves clues, but he, treat, he wrote his gospel like a treasure map. He wrote his gospel in a way that it doesn't reveal its truths on the first reading, or the second, or the fourth, or the fortieth. John's gospel just begins to open up around the hundredth reading. He lays these clues out. So, okay, if this is a sign, what are the clues? Go back to chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, 
there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee. Now, for somebody who's writing a gospel book 50 years after the resurrection, they can't use the phrase third day as if it's just a, a number. Like, if I, in this setting, right, if we were, I used to teach them preaching to African Americans in inner city Houston. Ruth was in my class. Ruth was a Pentecostal bishop. And when I would be teaching, she would stand over to the side and stump her foot and say, go, Aubrey. And I would just, I'm trying to just do a lecture. But in the African-American culture, if, if you said uh, in this style of preaching, if you said like a little phrase like that, the room would go nuts. They would join in with you. They know what the third day means. Did you know what the third day meant when it was read the first time? See, John's gospel is designed not to give you its meaning on the first reading. So here's the deal. Why is John telling us that this happened on the third day? He wants us to see the significance of the miracle, and he's giving us these clues. So go back to chapter 1, look at verse 19. In verses 19 through 28, John is talking with some folks, John the Baptist is talking with some folks from Jerusalem. He's baptizing, and look what it says on verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Drop down to verse 35. The next day. Verses 40 to 42, we have another day. Verse 43, the next day. So John is organizing the first chapter of his book around a set of days. How many days does John put into the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Well, in 19 through 28, we have the first day. In 29 through 34, we have the second day. In 35 through 39, we have the third day. On 40 through 42, we have the fourth day. Verses 43 to 51, Jesus begins a journey on the fifth day. Apparently, they're traveling on the sixth day because in chapter 2, verse 1, it says on the third day of the journey. So how many days? Seven. John has organized the first week of Jesus' ministry in his gospel. He starts his gospel by saying, here's what happened the first seven days. And what happens on the final day of that whole week? What happens on the third day of the journey, seven days into the week? The wedding and the miracle. Now, John only counts days one more time. John's gospel only has two moments where he counts out a week in Jesus' life. The first is in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Do you know where the next time the third day shows up? The next time a week shows up? The end of Jesus' life, the end of John's gospel. So if this is nerding out for you, welcome to my world. Isn't this fun? So just think about it for a minute. John wrote an account of Jesus' life where he is very tricky at the beginning to measure out a week. Then you go through his whole gospel and you get to the end and he measures out a week again. What is he doing? At the end of John's gospel, Jesus goes on another three-day journey. And what happens on the third day of Jesus' final journey? He rises from the dead. He is resurrected. All right. Remember I said that this, it was a custom in this culture for the bridegroom 
to supply the wine at the wedding feast. In chapter 3, John tells us Jesus is the bridegroom. Now, the first time you're reading the Bible, the first time you're reading John's gospel, you don't know he's the bridegroom because you're reading it straight through. But after you've read it through a hundred times, you, you start it knowing that he's the bridegroom. Now, look at what this man says to the guy who's getting married. He says, chapter 2, verse 10, Everyone serves good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. You have kept the good wine until now. That's not true, is it? The bridegroom did not keep the good wine. He ran out of wine. The guy is making a mistake that is ironically true of Jesus. That's what John is getting us to see. John wants us to see that Jesus is the bridegroom who provides the better wine at the end. Now, can you believe that? Can you believe that for your own life? In John's Gospels, these miracles, they are signs. They are these moments when heaven is opened and the transforming power of God breaks into the present world. There are these moments where heaven invades the dailiness and the darkness of this world. So here, let's stop there for just a minute and think about this. If John's Gospel is telling about people who were invited to see Jesus. But he starts it by saying he's talking to you. That you are invited to see Jesus. That you're invited into a relationship of love and trust and friendship with Jesus. And when you accept that, you will experience the life of heaven breaking into your life. How did the miracle happen? It happened when Mary said to some people, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Now, Jesus is willing to do this for you and me. He's willing to come to our lives and save the best for last. The better wine comes in the end. We know when we keep reading John's Gospel, that's the case. At the end of John's gospel, Jesus dies on the cross. He rises from the dead. And if there's ever a time when it's appropriate to say, the better wine comes at the end. It's true of John's gospel. A little earlier, um, who, who was doing the reading? What's your name? Alyssa read from Revelation, another book that John wrote. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6 through nine tells about another wedding, the marriage feast of the Lamb, and we're all invited to. It's the, the wedding the whole Bible points to. You know, the Bible starts with a wedding, and it ends with a wedding. Remember Amos chapter nine, verse 13. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills will flow with it. Our final destiny is the marriage feast of the Lamb when God will be all in all and we will rise up in his glorious presence and be held in his intimate love. Jesus is saving the better wine for later. And what I'm saying is that the best day of your life, 
the most joy you've ever experienced, if you can imagine it, by comparison to what will be, it's only water. By the power of the bridegroom, your very best moments, your deepest joys, your highest happinesses will be transfigured into wine. Fine aged wine. But this is the essential part. You cannot expect to enjoy the great wine of the marriage feast of the Lamb unless you accept Jesus' invitation to come and see. That's how our gospel passage ends. Notice John chapter 2, verse 11. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. It's a very tricky word, that word in, in Greek. It's probably better translated, they believed into him, or they entrusted themselves to him. Verse 12 says, After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. They kept following him. They kept beholding him. They kept seeing him. So we're back to where we started. The Gospel of John is an invitation for you to come to Jesus, to see Jesus, to behold him, to enter into a friendship of intimacy with him where you can learn little by little more of who he is. Jesus is inviting all of us to bring all of those parts of our lives where we messed up. We didn't fulfill our responsibilities. We didn't, you know, this morning as I'm praying through this, I just started praying through the chapter and thinking of all the places in my life where I feel shame and embarrassment, where I've messed it up, the way I've messed up my children, the way I've messed up my relationship with my parents. I think about all of, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to see ourselves in this story. We're supposed to imagine that we're that bridegroom. We, we've run out of wine. And then look at Jesus. And he rescues us in a gratuitous way, right? Isn't that at the heart of the gospel? Here we are, we humans, covered in our sin. We've messed up. We've failed the party, right? We've let our neighbors down. We've let all these people down. But thank goodness there's a better bridegroom here. And this better bridegroom is going to rescue us. But in, in the most incredible rescues he gives us, even those, or just a foretaste. Because the better wine for John comes at the end, not just at the end of the gospel, but the end of the next book he wrote, Revelation, when we all will experience the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much for your great glory and your great goodness and kindness and your mercy and your grace. We are so glad that you have invited us to yourself. Help us to see you. In Christ's name, amen.